I'm fantasy author Elle Penelope, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Friday, August 30th, 2019, and this is episode 30 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So this week's best thing is that I went to the doctor yesterday, and she said that I can try to climb with my brace on. Not this brace that I'm wearing right now on my wrist, but um, I'm going to order a new one that's one that's more specifically for athletics and sports. And um, when it comes, I'm going to go and try to boulder, <sighs> which is the climbing where you don't need a partner and there's no ropes. You just do the, it's the shorter wall and I can do it by myself. Um, so that is super exciting. Like I said last week, it's been two months since I've been able to climb and um the, ba- the downside is that wrist injuries take a very, very long time to heal, much longer than I wanted, which is not what I wanted to hear. But if I can climb, even if it's just like intro routes or V1s and V2s, like the easier ones, um, I think that will go a long way in making me feel better. And if I can do bouldering, then I can go back and start climbing with my partner again and even do the easier routes on the ropes. Because <sighs> um, in the climbing gym, Like people climb with casts, with slings, walking boots, like they don't let things stop them. And you can, you can climb with one leg or one arm, but you need at least one. And I haven't had one functional wrist in a while. So, um, I'm very excited about that and very happy to try it out. So hopefully by next week when I record this, I will have some positive news to share about my climbing exploits uh, with my braces on. And if that's how it has to be for the next few months, then at least I will get to do something in the climbing gym and um, my heart will be much happier. So in writing news, oh, before that, <laughs> so we talked about Zen and the Art of Writing last week. And I was like, oh, yeah, I have a book by Ray Bradbury, but I don't think that's it. Turns out that was it. I had just never read it or even like opened it. I do buy writing craft books a lot and I have a, another stack that um, has yet to be read. But yeah, so I actually have Zen in the Art of Writing. I did not have to buy it again. Sometimes I accidentally buy things twice or um, sometimes you want to buy things physically and in ebook also. Most of my craft and nonfiction books I, I buy um, in paper so that I can highlight and, you know, I like, I like to have the tactile things for nonfiction for craft, but when they're really good and when I want to have it on the go, like I say, I go to meet a friend to write or, you know, I occasionally do write outside of the house, then it's nice to have um, digital, you know, ebook versions. But yeah, so I've got this and I'm starting to go through it. I haven't gotten very far yet, but um, <laughs> uh you know, we just, we buy books and we don't always know what books we buy. And I've had this for years. So I guess I should have read it years ago. And my writing update. So yes, I have been spending this week um, doing deep character studies on my main POV characters and then antagonists. And also working on plotting from that. And Earlier this week, I saw a post on Twitter by author Tasha Harrison, who is doing a 20K in five days challenge. And it starts today, August 30th. And um, so by Monday, Tuesday, I should have 20,000 words. And I was like, I saw other people I know like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And I'm like, wow, that's very aggressive. And I think this was probably Monday. And I was like, well, if I plot, if I have the plot ready, 
I, it's conceivable. You know, like 4,000 words a day is, is 20K in five days. And um, that's not impossible if I know what I'm writing. So I was like, okay, if I get my plot done, you know, I will definitely do this. And and midweek, it was like, it was looking good. So I committed, and I committed on Twitter, which is good. Like, if, if there's something hard that you want to do, that's accountability. You know, I've said online, and I've retweeted it. And so this is out there in the universe, that I'm going to be a part of this. And um, so yeah, I'm, I'm actually excited about it. It's turns out it's a holiday weekend. When you're self employed, holidays kind of pass you by and you're like, Oh, really? Labor Day? Okay. And you don't have children because uh, there's no there's no like reason for me to know that it's like Labor Day. I don't need to buy anything. I'm not like looking at the sales. So uh, I wouldn't have known if someone hadn't told me. But that's the plan. So I, I had an early client meeting today that and I haven't written yet. But after I finish recording, I'm going to do at least two sprints. And two sprints should get me to about 2,500 to 3,000 words, depending and then depending on how my wrists feel um, or how hungry I am after the two, the two sprints, I'll probably take a break and then do another sprint to get to the 4,000 mark. So I think three sprints a day should get me there and we will see what happens. And I do have enough outlined in two different storylines of this book that um, I think that I can get through it. So, and it'll be a good boost. It'll be a good challenge. And, you know, these things tend to come up when you need them. So I've been really down about how writing has been going and just this story being so difficult. And then this came along and I was like, oh, something to, to challenge yourself and push and have accountability. It seemed like something that uh, that would be very useful for me. Um, so the author who started it, Tasha Harrison, uh, there's a post on her website that I'll link to because she wants to do this every month. I am not going to do this every month, but it, uh, if you're interested in participating next month and it sounds like something cool and kind of scary, but something that might push you, I will link to that post and you can hop on next time they do it and um, join in the in the fun. Joanna Penn also had um, an in-between-isode, is what she calls it. Um, not her normal podcast, but an extra episode of her podcast, The Creative Pen, which is, you know, something I listen to every single week, and I've been listening to it for years. And it was on podcasting, because she'd gone to Podcast Movement, which is a conference in um, Florida. And so this is kind of her takeaways from it. And because audio is booming and and not just, you know, podcasts, audiobooks, audio smart speaker devices like your Alexa and etc. Um, the way that we interact with technology is moving towards audio. And so she is very big on like forward thinking tech stuff and making your website optimized for audio for like voice searches and podcasting and, and podcasting as a new blogging, which is kind of how I use this podcast as, as in place of blogging, because I can, I can talk, <laughs> it, you know, if I wrote a blog post about the things I talk about, it would take me like four times as long. So I thought that it was a, a, a really informative um, little episode. And it gave me some things to think about in terms of optimizing your podcast for search engines, and um, things like that. Transcripts, which are always hard, because they're expensive and time consuming. I, I actually have tried one or two of the um, like auto AI transcripts, the automatic ones, and I just talk really fast. <laughs> so I'm going to try to talk slower. 
I listen to all podcasts at 1.5 speed. And I can't really listen to my own at 1.5 speed because I talk too fast. So sorry, if that's been an issue for any of you. Um, but I, I, I just naturally talk fast. But uh, yeah, so transcripts, it's something that I'm interested in. There's uh, one that she recommended called Descript, which, and she had like an offer code for 100 free minutes. So I ran my last episode through it. And yeah, I just, I talk really fast. So it, it does probably 70%, 75%. And for me to go through and clean it up would take a lot of time. But the good thing about that is that it you can edit at the same time. So I do edit this. I edit out my tea drinking and, and when I get garbled and more garbled than usual. So that is one possibility. Like if, if I have to go through and edit anyway, which requires, you know, watching the whole thing, then I can edit as I clean up the text of my own transcript. And so it's not like double the work. It's, it's a slight addition to what I'm already doing. So, um, but it does still cost money and it's something I'm considering and thinking about. Like, I like the idea of it being accessible um, and having text and accessibility for um, people with disabilities and people who just don't want to listen and rather read and also for search engines. And um, there's other benefits to having a text transcript available. So yeah, we will see. I might try it, see how much time, how much extra time it adds. Because I can usually get this from beginning to end, from starting recording to uploading and pressing schedule to um, schedule the post. It's about two hours per episode for me. And um, so if I don't add significantly to that time, then that having a transcript would be a great thing to do. Um, also, marketing, like having QR codes something she mentioned, like when they were there, they had business cards with the QR codes for their website. I've never liked QR codes. I, they never really worked right. Like you have to, I don't know, maybe it's better now. I haven't tried it in years, but um, I guess it's a thing. And, then, and apparently in other countries, they're much more popular because like you saw them around, you know, in the US five, six years ago, and then they kind of went away. I mean, you, occasionally you'll see a QR code, but honestly, I'd rather just type in the URL than like find the QR code app, scan it, get it to like focus, you know, but that's just me. And I'm fairly tech savvy. So, but I also am stuck in my ways. <laughs> that could be it too. And um, so other marketing stuff. So yeah, that was a good episode. If you're interested in podcasting, I will link to it. Sherman just came in and is positioning his bed very loudly. So sorry about that. It's always fun to record with dogs in the room. I don't know where the cat is. He doesn't usually come in while I'm while I'm podcasting. I think it's it's too early for him. Like he he's a late riser. <laughs> like he'll be up in the morning and then he'll he'll nap till about two or three and then he'll come in here. Another uh, learning thing that I did this week, there was a webinar, and actually I saw the email about ten minutes before the webinar started, and it was by Tim Graw, who is one of the hosts of um, the Story the Story Grid podcast. And he also has some books on book launching. I think he has a, a whole book launching service for like big, like, expensive book launches. But his info is usually good. And um, I like the Story Grid podcast. 
I'm also actually going to the StoryGrid live event in a couple of weeks in Nashville because I, I talk about StoryGrid here all the time. And um, so Sean Coyne, who wrote the book StoryGrid, Stephen Pressfield, and a bunch of the StoryGrid editors are going to be there. So it was kind of a, a quick decision to, it's like a two-day trip to to Tennessee and um, for this, this conference, like a mini conference. Um, but I haven't been listening to the most recent StoryGrid episodes because they it was first, it was about Tim writing his book. It's like a first time fiction author. And he's taking a very long time to write his book. So they've shifted to someone else writing a different book. And I, and I haven't listened in, in a while, but I do recommend uh, the podcast. You don't have to listen to every episode, kind of go back and um, you'll, because StoryGrid is, as much as I love it, it's dense and it's not really for beginners. I would say it's definitely a high intermediate to advanced um book in terms of craft books. Um, I do definitely recommend it. And, but that's the caveat. So anyway, the webinar was about like productivity tips for writers. And um, I don't, you know, I know that people are doing webinars are generally trying to sell you something. But I, Tim Grawl is good about giving you a lot of good information before he tries to sell you stuff. So um I thought there was some good tips in the webinar. There were things about if um, if you can't find time to write, and that's not my problem. You know, I've been self-employed for a really long time, so I'm pretty good about organizing or knowing how to organize my day so that I have time to write, and not just because I can literally write whenever I feel like it, but also because I'm used to having to juggle a lot of different tasks and. Um, so scheduling, and, and I'm also a person who likes to schedule things, and it's kind of just my personality also. But there were some tips about that, which were cool. This To summarize, it's kind of like, if you're having trouble finding time to write, then make a list of everything you do every day, like from go to the bathroom, make breakfast, eat breakfast, make coffee, like everything you do. And um, then on that list, circle the essentials. So you have to eat, you have to go to the bathroom. You don't have to make coffee, right? You're not going to die if you, I don't know, maybe you will. <laughs> but um, to the point where he was like talking to his wife, that was a non-essential. He doesn't, he won't like die if he doesn't talk to his wife. Taking his kids to school was essential. So you have to kind of just determine what is your are your essentials. And his next step was really extreme in terms of everything that's not essential, don't do it for a week. So he didn't talk to his wife for a week. He didn't watch TV. He didn't read. He didn't exercise because um, it's not going to kill you not to exercise for five days. And you realize how much time you have. Uh, and then you can figure out it kind of a mind shift in terms of, oh, I actually do have time to write if I take away the non-essentials. Um, so I don't, I can't actually imagine myself ever doing anything like that. And I don't know if it's a good idea for other people to, but at least the exercise of writing down things and circling your essentials and realizing how much of the things that you do every day are not essential. But my bigger takeaway, it was um, systems and not goals, which is something I've heard before. And he even admitted in the webinar that's the people, you know, argue with him about that the most. And I don't I don't remember exactly where this comes from because someone else had a book about this or something. But goals, the idea is that goals have endpoints. You you create a goal to do something and once you've done it, you're done. So if I want to lose 10 pounds, once you lost 10 pounds, you tend to gain it back because you stop the behavior that 
got you to that point. Or if you wanted to run a marathon and then you do it and then you don't run anymore, which might be fine. Like running doesn't make any sense to me, <laughs> but instead of goals that have endpoints and, um, and, and possibly will, will not continue forward, create systems um, that are repeatable things that you do to produce predictable results. And so instead of having a goal of writing a book, create systems wherein I write for two hours every day, or I write, you know, however long, half an hour every day. And that is something that you can repeat and that will move you forward as opposed to, okay, maybe you write a book and then you're done forever. Like you, you did that thing and you could have another goal to write another book. But if you create a system where you're doing reproducible things on a regular basis to have consistent results, that will get you further. So I still, I would never say I don't believe in goals, you know, um, but I like the idea of, of prioritizing systems instead of goals. That seems like how you actually get things done, like how you get the work done. So as opposed to setting the goal of, you know, writing X number of words a day, which sometimes it's helpful and sometimes it's not, it could be, I'm going to write for two hours a day and, and focus on creating that time, um, protecting that time, scheduling it, doing whatever you have to do to, to get there. And then, doing the work. And if you, if you have that time that you're using just for this thing every day or every other day, however, you have to schedule it, then you're going to get things done. Oh, the other thing that I took away that I thought was really great was the idea of um, to adopt an experimental mindset. And that when you see people who've done great things or things that you might have wanted to do, and you see the end result, and they might have, they might tell you, oh yeah, I struggled. And then I, you know, I got there, but they're not really like, you're not seeing the struggle and you're not seeing that every single person who's had a success has had a lot of struggles to get there. Um, and those aren't the stories that we usually tell. Right. And so it makes it, it makes it easy to, you know, feel bad about yourself because you're not achieving that same success when you're in the middle of the struggle and you didn't see that person struggle and they're not talking about that struggle. Um, so if you, if you look at your goals, goals and your systems as, um, as experiments and that like nobody ever did anything great without failing a lot. And so embrace that and understand that every, every struggle and every failure is just part of the path to the success that will eventually come from not giving up. Um, and yeah, you know, there's comparing is always bad. Comparisonitis is a deadly disease, especially when you're comparing a finished polished product um, to something of yours that is in process, that is on the way there, that is not there yet. Um, and then also someone who's, been working longer or harder has different strengths than you. Like there's all kinds of reasons why comparing is bad. And like we all do it and it's hard not, it's hard to stop. Um, but any reminder we can get that like, okay, focus on your own paper, you know, and not on everybody else's. I think that's a good reminder to have because, you know, that way it just lies heartache and, and trouble that you don't need. You don't have to borrow trouble. 
there's enough trouble that we all have that's going to come at us anyway. So, you know, comparing ourselves to others is, is, is unnecessary trouble that like I certainly don't need. And I'm pretty sure. So yes, moving forward this week, I am going to get my 4,000 words today. Um, this weekend starts my read along of Song of Blood and Stone in my Facebook group. So I'm kind of excited about that to see how it goes. I, I was working on like the behind the scenes stuff that I'm going to post. And I was like, oh, this is like an old book in and of itself. Cause I was just writing. I was like, I have to cut some of this out. Like, no, I'm not. This is too much. But it just got me thinking about, um, the whole process of, of writing it. And I was looking back at my first draft and I posted in the group the first paragraph that I ever, that I ever wrote of that book uh, from the first draft. And, uh, it was a different, I had forgotten that it started from, from Jack's perspective. And, um, it was just really interesting. I didn't read over the whole thing. I actually have read that first draft within the past couple of years, but I don't know. I just, I like reading over like old stuff like that. It shows me how far I've come and how, how much I worked on that story because, you know, the first draft was 21,000 words. I was convinced it was going to be a novella. When I hired my developmental editor, um, I think the book was something like 50,000 words. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm writing this, this epic fantasy novella. And she was like, that's not a thing. <laughs> like, like you, you, there are, but like, this is the, f- <laughs> anyway, it's not a thing. And it wasn't a thing in my case because I didn't tell the whole story. And so I ended up adding 30,000 words after that um, dev edit for the self-published version. Um, But yeah, I just, the process of writing that was so different than everything else um, that's come after. There there have been other books that that the first draft flowed like that one did. But, um, you know, I say this all the time, every book is different. I hate repeating myself, but like, I also have to remind myself of that when I get frustrated. Um, And also thinking about intuition, like when you're writing, like I I wrote 21,000 words in two days for that first draft. And that was a a sort of complete story. Like it had a beginning, middle and end. Obviously it wasn't a complete story, but it was just a burst of inspiration. And I intuitively did a lot of things that first time that now I realize I have to do more consciously and more um, I put together a process for the things that when I was more, I guess when I was less experienced, it was all intuition. And I wonder if it's because I've like tried to focus on craft a lot and knowing what I'm doing and doing things purposefully and just becoming a better writer that now that I've lost the intuition, I think the intuition is still there, but I don't trust it as much or, even if I could, I don't know why it's it's not like it's requiring so much more. You know, like I'm doing character work on characters that I've written three books about, you know, or more. And realizing, oh, I didn't, I never dealt into this aspect or this aspect before, but I didn't need to then. Like the story came to me and it was like, oh, this is what they would do. And I wrote it and I felt good about it and it felt right. And so there's things now, you know, that haven't been feeling right. And it's not because I didn't know the character, but I was just doing it all intuitively. And and so now I have to take a step back for whatever reason. And I, I don't think I know exactly why, 
it's it's different. Um, but it is. It maybe it's pressure, like the pressure of ending the series, the pressure of the books actually being in the marketplace. When when you write your first book, you don't have anything out there. There's there's no pressure. Like nobody's looking at it. Maybe no one will ever see it. And so now I know. Oh yeah. And also, you know, the first book has been well received. So far, the second one has gotten pretty good reviews. And um, so that's kind of a pressure. Like okay, I've got to people actually will be reading it and I want it to be a good experience. And that the buildup of that. Um, so whatever, whatever the, the reasons are that intuition that, that drove the process entirely the first time and probably the second time when I first wrote the second book is, has to be replaced by something new and being able to pinpoint that. And, and that made me feel better. Like it's not a, personal failing of mine, all the the struggles I'm having with this book. It's um, something else is needed. And and because I haven't had to do this type of work before, doesn't mean that those books, like going through all this character stuff, I'm like, well, I never did this before. Does does this mean that that there's something wrong with these books because of that? And um, I don't think so. I just... Something else was needed for this. So that is what I've been thinking about. Um, yeah, so next week I'll have an extra 20,000 words, which would be great. And I, um, I'm i feeling ready to write. So I hope that you have a wonderful week. I will talk to you next week. Until then, happy reading. For episode show notes and to learn more about me and my books, go to lpenelope.com. Subscribe to My Imaginary Friends wherever you get your podcasts and check out the video episodes on YouTube. And please leave a rating and review to help support the show.